There you go. Hey, welcome to the best Kiwi Scottish podcast on the whole internet. And today we've got Nigel. Welcome to the More Than Punk podcast. I'm Seb Mackay. And this week, I absolutely couldn't resist using that little extract from my conversation with Nigel Powell of the Sad Song Co., also of Dive Dive, and formerly the drummer for Frank Turner and the Sleeping Souls, which may be how you know him most. Nigel and I are going to be chatting about his new album, Suadade, Suadade. I fucked that up every time. You'd think I'd be able to get it right, but there's just some, there's just something about me that I just can't get that one. So we're talking about that new record a lot. We're talking about his vocation to create, and he even tells me that I need to work on being a little less self-deprecating, which reminds me a bit of the Killer Be Killed episode from a few months ago looking at life lessons. Nigel is an incredibly cool guy, incredibly funny, and we really get into some cool stuff around creativity, what it takes to switch from being a band member to being the frontman of a band. Make sure you stick around to the end of our conversation, where we've got My Saccharin, which is the brand new single from Nigel's album. Uh, and that album is coming out on the 22nd of January, so that is very, very fucking soon, and you'll be able to buy it and get it on all streaming services. So stick around to the end, check out the new track. Nigel's music is pretty cool. And I hope you enjoy this episode of the More Than Punk podcast. Hey, uh, Nigel, thank you so much for coming and hanging out today. I really appreciate it. It's it's absolutely my pleasure. I'm very much looking forward to it. Oh, no pressure, right? (laughs) No, not at all. Hey, speaking of pressure, I saw you play with the Sleeping Souls, I think it was four or five years ago now in Auckland at a venue called The Tuning Fork. And I'll always remember this because I'm a numpty. And um, it was like the end of the show and most people had left and you and the band had sort of packed up and were milling around. And it was like you, Tarrant and Ben. And I was like, oh my God, it's the Sleeping Souls. I should go up and talk to them. Like I love the Sleeping Souls. And then I chickened out. But four, five years later, here I am. So I'm pretty proud of that. Oh, wait, that, that's good. And I mean, you shouldn't have chickened out at the time because we're all very... I lost you for have a second you, then, Justin. Can you yeah, just for okay. a second there at the end of we're all very. Okay. We're all very lovely. I mean, obviously you could have guessed that word. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It might have been something else. <laughs> Possibly. Like we're all angry drunks. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously I just, yeah, it's funny. Like I know, I know that now and I, I guess it's weird because you kind of put people like when you're a fan on pedestals and stuff. So for you, I mean, going from like you know i mean obviously you've done loads of stuff but going from sort of drummer most recently to being front man of a band what's that kind of like like does your mindset change a little bit um i i mean i i i feel vocationally driven to write my own songs so um so i i create them that that way but i'd much rather be in a band with people who you know you can present the germ of an idea to and will then surprise you with what they bring to it. That's that's kind of my ideal for creativity is is surprise. I th- I think when people are listening to something, they can hear the the kind of the moment of discovery of something. Mm-hmm. It's it's that journey. Um, you know, th- instead of going, I know exactly what I want. This is going to sound like you know the second three fighters album or, or whatever. You go. I've got this idea, it's kind of in this direction, but then somebody else does something on it and you go, oh, or maybe it's not like that. And that's exciting. So um, I'm digressing entirely away from your question, but yes, I, I prefer to be in a band, but I, 
because of uh, circumstances and I guess some elements of self-confidence I do just do everything myself what what's the the mindset shift like for because like I was watching your music videos and stuff and obviously it's very different when you're just sort of you with a camera in your face filming a music video as opposed to being behind any kind of instrument right like is that a <laughs> is it like a holy fuck kind of moment when you're doing that um music videos not so much music videos that makes them sound very grand i shoot myself on uh, on an iphone and then usually I, I'm, I i'm a computer programmer as well so i usually fiddle about with some computer stuff to try and make it more interesting but doing that i i kind of enjoy because i've got an interest in um in that side of stuff and, and you know films and visual representation of things I, I, even though i'm not a visual artist by any means it, in uh, kind of videos I enjoy but playing shows I've played I've played a, a few shows and it's usually just me just mm -hmm. me and the piano and a guitar um, and that is an entirely different kettle of fish and weirdly for as long about as long as I can remember I've never had the remotest bit of nerves even at the biggest show playing drums it's I, it's in my wheelhouse. I, I get excited, right? Because it's it's a gig, and you know you're playing to people, and you want to do a really good job for, you know, the sixty or hundred or a thousand people who are there. Mm. But, but I'm. It was almost always a feeling of kind of determination. I've got this. Let's go out there. Let's do the best job we can. Whereas, uh, doing, playing to anybody, when I've got to sing, it's just me and the piano and the guitar, and my voice is totally pant filling every time mm. and um, almost to the point where i i dislike it i always i always tend to like it afterwards but in the run-up i'm like why am i doing this to myself i just i'm an idiot <laughs> yeah do, do you find that because i mean you're obviously not someone that's like you know drawn to the spotlight right in that sense of like i want to be as famous as possible and i want everyone to look at me and take photos of me but do you find that just doing what you're doing sort of pushes you like out of that comfort zone of you know and, and puts you in front of people in a way that you're not like necessarily keen on but it's a necessary evil to get to where you want to go does that make some semblance of sense I, it makes absolute sense it's it's not so much that the situation puts me there it's it's that in order to um make the bit that I enjoy of, of writing music and recording music and you know, arranging all in order to make that work there's the other bits that that I kind of have to push myself to do I'd you know I'd rather not if I could be I'm going to use some absolutely ancient references here that you will have no idea what I'm saying but there's probably <laughs> going to be three people listening to this podcast who are um, from the UK and over 50 years ago oh. but I'd you know I'd like to be the Blue Nile or Talk Talk or something like that and be, um, or even I suppose in the more modern sense, Sigur Ross or something like that, mm -hmm. where the personalities of the band are almost entirely, you know, irrelevant to the music and the music kind of stands on its own. But that's that's not the way things work generally and I have to put myself out there. You know, even simple things like um, bigging yourself up on Twitter which oh, I is, hate that. Yeah, like I hate doing it. I mean, yeah, it's it's a necessity though. It's, uh, it's a, and it's a it's a kind of 
second in necessity. I, you know, being old-fashioned, I, I miss the idea of there being a mixture of artists where some of them are, you know, um, outgoing and you know, for themselves. That's, that's great. That that kind of confidence and checking yourself out there. But also there being the possibility for artists who are really reserved and who don't like the limelight but create amazing art. Mm. It doesn't seem like that's actually so easy to do anymore because everybody has to do everything themselves, including promoting themselves and marketing themselves. The, the, uh, the avenues for those kind of artists are, are, are rarer, I think, mm. even though the, the possibility of getting your music out there is, is much, much greater with modern technology. Do you feel Sorry, like what were we talking about? No, no, that was that was good. <laughs> I, I love when things go in this direction. Um, do you feel like people want to know you more as a personality than like as a musician? Uh, I, I think the nature of um, social media and the internet is people now wanting to know who you are as a person, who, who anybody is as a person, which uh, I mean, I get in a way. I was, you know, I had fans that I was a huge fan of when, when I was younger and grown out of it all now. I hate all music. That's all. Um, <laughs> but um, who, you know, you go, it would be interesting to, to know that person in, in life. And now, nowadays, that avenue is you have a direct a, a mode of communication to, to all of the artists that you like. Um, no matter how well managed it is, at least there's a sense that you can talk directly to them. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would, if if I had some magic influence over the world and I could reshape it in the way that uh, I wanted, it would be that, you know, the um, friends and family and people who I care about know me as a person and to care about me that way. And, you know, people who are interested in my music, they just go, I really like the music. Everything else kind of doesn't matter to me. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm not ashamed of people knowing me, and um, occasionally trying to put myself out there uh, on social media. But you know, it would be it would be great to not have to. Yeah, I get that. It's funny because with with all of that said, I'm one of those people that can't imagine and gets incredibly anxious about the idea of like tweeting at someone famous or someone that. I like even though I do this this is fine because there's context right we're here to talk about like your music and all that kind of shit but yeah. when, if I'm on Twitter I, what am I going to like tweet you like hey what's up dude what do you have for lunch like I just wouldn't even know where to start <laughs> with that kind of thing I mean that that would be an ideal place I mean I, the, the answer to that question would always be very boring I'd say I had a piece of toast but yeah. um, but I, I mean I think I think there's a there's a quantitative difference because if you were to ask Beyonce what she had for lunch, I'm going to imagine she probably doesn't have time to answer because there's a number of other people who are probably asking her all sorts of questions all at the same time. Whereas for a smaller artist, you know, that comes in, they go, hey, so we wants to know what I had for lunch. That's weird, but I'm happy to say that it was, uh, um, it was toast and, and marmite, which is like Vegemite, but better. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not even, <laughs> I just can't. The New Zealand Marmite is, is better than the UK Marmite. I mean, like those are fighting words, but I've got, I've it's got a jar. you're far away. 
if, if I can wrestle it from my girlfriend, I can send you a jar. We, we got some <laughs> shipped up to Scotland just for us ah. because we, that's what we missed about home. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> are, you, are you familiar with uh, the Broken Bells, um, James Mercer and Danger Mouse's sort of joint project? Um, I'm only familiar with the name. I've, I've heard it. And I think a couple of people have said to me, you should check that out. It's good. But I haven't listened to it yet. What, yeah. what, what am I missing? They're a good, they're a great band. They do, um, they're a sort of similar setup to you in that there's the difference being there's two of them, right? But the, the point of this question was more about when you're doing the multi-instrumental thing, like, do you, can you play everything well, or do you pick something up and learn it to just play that part? Does that make sense? I was, I asked James Mercer this question years ago and he was like, well, basically I can't play, you know, the keyboard for example, but I can learn three minutes of music on the keyboard and then I'll just drop it and not pick it up again. Like, is yours a sort of similar approach or do you stick to the instruments that you know and love? Uh, it's it's a game of two halves with me, not wanting to get into football idioms, but um, uh, piano and drums, I, I can play and you can put me into any situation and, uh, and I'll feel okay about getting by on those instruments because, you know, I, drums, obviously, I played for a long time in a lot of different professional situations and I better be good at it. Mm. Um, and piano, I've, I've, I just, I've been playing for years and um, guitar, I mean, I can, I can play a fair amount of different stuff and I know where things are on the fretboard, but that is more of a case of, um, you know, I'll have to hack my way through a guitar part for a song and, you know, edit lots of, edit the good bits together and hey presto it sounds like i can uh, i can play really well i am not an expert by any means bass i enjoy but mm -hmm. uh, i don't play half enough anymore I, I actually used to i used to play a lot of bass i really enjoyed it when i was really young it was um i kind of i i started playing piano and drums about the same time so piano maybe a little bit earlier when i was like nine and then drums when i was 10. and then uh, borrowed the uh, the bass player of the band I was in at school or borrowed his bass guitar um, because in a typically under ambitious way I wanted to uh, learn all of the early level 42 records nice. um, and that was literally how I started playing bass it, it wasn't like let's let's play uh, smoke on the water um, it was uh, straight it was this ridiculously complicated slap stuff um, which set me in kind of good stead it was you know uh, really throwing yourself off a off a cliff into a raging sea and figuring out if you could swim and um, not that uh, having skills at slap basis of any use to me whatsoever nowadays but <laughs> it, it means I, I, still, <laughs> I, I mean i'm now i've put myself into playing in a band while well, in you know the solo artist thing yeah. where it doesn't fit i mean why didn't i choose to do something funky I could have been the funk song co, but that no, would have been awesome. The set. <laughs> that would have yeah, that would have been so cool. But there's there's like a side project in that, right? A small EP. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's that's going to happen now that it's implanted in my brain. Does it change when you look at your the instruments that you prefer to play versus ones that you don't? Does it change how you think about songwriting, or do you go into it and go, actually, this will sound cool, and I'll just grab a sample, learn a bit of this, or, you know. I'd, I rarely use samples, actually. I, I think because I'm a drummer, mm. um, and I, I mean, my my biggest skills, I think, certainly, you know, from a few years ago, is, is 
drumming and arrangement that if if there's a kind of inspiring song that I hear most of the time I can I can kind of hear how the arrangement should be in my head and um I I've I've been around people who when they're starting off something they'll kind of figure out a little bit on guitar or, or another instrument and then they'll kind of scroll through a whole bunch of drum loops until they find something that's kind of approximately in the area which never works for me because I know exactly what's supposed to be happening in the drums almost immediately mm-hmm. um, and that, that's not to say I'm not flexible it, it's like as a starting point I know oh, it's, it's got to be like that it's got to have this you know slightly swirling this way got to be beats there and it's much quicker for me to either play it or program it than it is to scroll through a billion um, sample packs trying to find the one that's doing exactly what I know it should be doing um, but different instruments definitely make me play different things. I, I, I deliberately mix it up. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll, you know, if, if I've been writing quite a long piano, I'll ban myself from piano for a couple of weeks and start only playing guitar and see what falls out of my fingers that way. Um, going back to, I, I, was, I was talking about wanting to be in a band and being surprised. I mm. do my level best to try and surprise myself. Um, and on piano, that means um, improvising a lot mm-hmm. so I'll uh, you know I, I'll literally have no idea what's, what I'm doing um, or, or that's that's not quite true I'll usually I'll sit down and just be fiddling about and something nice will happen and before I go any further with it I'll just hit record and and then improvise my way through you know that one until I get bored or until it starts sounding ridiculous or until it's until I've got no idea what happens next and not and try my very best not to think about what I'm playing mm-hmm. um, so that I can come back to it and go oh I wasn't expecting that and, and I get a little bit of that kind of thrill of excitement of not quite know, knowing what's going to happen and in some ways that's easier on guitar because I'm less familiar with the instrument so mm-hmm. I'll be playing yeah I, I tend to steer away from uh, playing kind of standard chord shapes just so you know, I'll, I'll be in, in a position, I'll go, uh, what happens if I then move to here? And um, I'll go, oh, that wasn't what I was expecting it to sound like, but now I'll do something else. And, and just that, it's almost like trying to jam with myself, if you yeah. like, trying to catch myself out. Because you've got such a rich musical, uh, I was going to say history, but I guess back catalogues, like a better sort of a thing. Does it is it easy for you to sort of keep things fresh and exciting now or are you do you feel like you know like you might start playing something and you go oh i've heard that before oh yeah i wrote it a decade ago or and trashed it is it because like sometimes when i'm doing things and i'm hanging out and i'm chatting with people and then i realize that i'm on like the fifth episode of the podcast and i've told the same fucking story four times and i'm like oh god <laughs> that's what podcasts are for people like sure. the uh, familiarity but um uh i think um I think that familiarity thing, that's, I'm I'm about to red herring, but I promise I'll come back to the question that you actually asked instead of just being like a politician and going, I'd like to answer a different question. (laughs) Um, uh, I think that familiarity thing is why um, music in, in terms of progressing music and pushing it forwards, it, it is kind of a young person's game mm-hmm. because um, there, there is a cyclical nature to music. I, I, 
stylistically. Um, and if I hear something that kind of has a real, or, or if I'm, if I start writing something and it has a kind of particular 80s vibe to it, that immediately makes me think of, um, you know, Stock Aiken Waterman or um, New Order or something. I will kind of go, ah, oh, I've heard that before. I'm not interested in um, doing that because I, you know, I heard all those songs 600 times on the radio every week. Whereas for somebody who didn't grow up in that time, they'll kind of start something that way. And they might be aware of those influences, of course, but they won't have the same associations with it, with it. And it won't stop them going, that's exciting. There's something there. I can do something with that. Mm. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm talking myself out of uh, out of the job here by saying, I'm old. <laughs> I, I can't do that kind of thing. What I have is a bit of a more rounded knowledge and uh, perhaps some maturity, which uh, which sometimes lacks in in other things. But getting back to your question, I think I I I feel like I'm still discovering stuff. I occasionally recycle things anyway. I mean, it's it's interesting having this. You talking about kind of my musical history, um, or that catalog as was. Um, there's, there are a bunch of things that um, I've written over the years, which you know just haven't ended up anywhere, but they have kind of lodged in deep parts of my grey matter. So, um, uh, I mean, the, without even making it an uncomfortable segue into talking about my upcoming single, there's a specific <laughs> well example. There's a specific example of that in in my saccharine. That's which was the last thing that I wrote for this record. And um, so it was kind of a combination of two things. For, for some reason on this record, there was this one piano riff, this kind of up and down chords thing that ended up that I kind of, I kept playing it every morning. I'd get up on the piano and, uh, and on the piano, I'd play that and figure out another way that you could work it so that it would be sad or it would be joyful or it would be exciting or it would be in a different key or it would be in a different time signature or something like that which I enjoyed and uh, and that happened this one morning and um, and a really good melody kind of fell out of my mouth at almost the same time and I thought well, okay I've got to I've got to do something with this um, so that was the verse and then um, and the bridge and I was like, okay, I need a chorus. Um, what else do I have that I've ever written that's kind of in this key or a related key that, that might fit? And for some reason, my subconscious popped up possibly the first serious thing I ever wrote on piano, which had never appeared anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that'll fit and started playing it. And it did. And I was like, okay, so the chorus is um, it was originally just a piano piece, but I just took what the piano melody was doing and made it a vocal. And um, so the chorus of the song is one of the first things that I ever wrote on any instrument ever, back before anybody listening to this was born. Um, Amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. So so it, it doesn't kind of... Um, if, if I'm doing something literally that is something that I've released before, I'll tend to go... Okay, let's not 
because mm. I, I I value distinctiveness and originality, and that's what keeps me interested in doing it. But, um, but that's dragging things out of out of the past that haven't been used. I, I mean, I recycle a lot in uh, in normal life. So uh, frankly, if I can do the same musically, I've got no problem with that. I mean, it makes sense, right? I th I feel like maybe from the fan side when we think about new music we always think about like things that have just been written recently or within a year however long the cycle kind of takes right and it, it, we always think about, about it being this kind of fresh new thing but there's not really a rule that says you can't just bank four albums and then release them you know over, over yeah. time right i mean i don't know how many people have the time to do that but i you know, like it's, I, yeah, I feel like maybe from the fan side, we expect things to be like fresh, but we don't necessarily understand that that means they can also be a decade old. <laughs> How's that for a yeah. contradiction, right? No, that's, that, that, that was good. I mean, I, I think maybe I got a lesson in that really early on because the, um, I was a huge fan of REM at school. Like, oh yeah, me too. Um, different um, different and, school timeline, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and their, what is, what is it, their fourth album, um, Life's Rich Pageant, mm -hmm. uh, I think is fabulous. Um, and, and I had that album for ages, and then I kind of started getting really geeky about it and collecting, you know, their old demos and early gigs and stuff like that. And there's, there's three songs on that album that all date from before their first album. And you can kind of hear it as like, Shit, we need some more stuff to try and finish this album. What have we got? Um, I go. Anybody remember that um, that giving away song? And everyone goes, "Yeah, well, well, let's let's try working on that." And that's um, that became "Wait for Give It Away" on the album. And um, what are the other two? There's uh, the the brilliant loud fast one. That, like anyway, that doesn't matter. But there there are three songs on there that were all predated. Them, them even kind of almost predated them being a band and that that made me realize yeah it's, it's that's kind of cool i can i can you can build up this library of stuff mm. that you have and it means that you have more material to work with and i don't think there's ever anything wrong with that yeah, absolutely. One of the things that um, lyrics are always hard to talk about, right? Because when you talk to people, it's like <clears throat> there's this sort of quasi famous Seether interview where the front man's like, oh, I hate talking about lyrics because, you know, I might write a song about taking a shit and no one wants to hear that. And I always have that in the back of my head when I when I bring this kind of stuff up. But do you feel like um, SadSongs.co has a, a direction or like a theme that it's moving in? or you know with your lyrics or because i've listened to the new single and and the new album and stuff and you know to project on you if i if i'm allowed it you know it feels kind of um it's kind of coherent makes me sound like such a wanker it feels like it's got like a sort of purposeful narrative pulling through it right but i think it's easy for me to listen to it in my own context and go this is what this record means to me like for you was there a sort of deliberate push through that to establish that sound through this record um sound or lyrics let's start with lyrics and then go into sound okay okay good um uh there wasn't such a deliberate push this time uh, um like two albums ago in amber there was i, I mean i i find it uh, challenging to write lyrics often because um, it's hard yeah i th i think there is a 
mindset, when we were talking earlier about, um, you know, me perhaps not being a natural band frontman and not wanting everybody to look at me and be in the spotlight, I think that that mindset of um, I want to be noticed does give you a kind of impetus to write lyrics. And, and that's why you have a lot of kind of rock and roll singers, frontmen, etc., that that have those similar personality constructs because it allows them to do their job. Mm. Um, whereas I, I feel like I have things to say, but um, it's a little bit like being in conversation with a bunch of people in the pub that um, I'll, I'll go, well, I could contribute to this, but everybody's quite happy talking and I don't need to convert anybody to, to my point of view on this. So I'll just listen rather than talk, um, which I do a lot. So I have to kind of push myself to uh, actually go, you know what, it's all right to say stuff, you know, and people can listen or not listen as they wish and that's fine. Mm. Um, so my solution to that, when essentially when I came back to making um, solo records after a long break on in Amble was to give myself a framework um, so that I kind of, it was almost more like writing scenes to in a movie rather than kind of writing 12 little individual bits. And, and in that case, it was talking about old people and um, uh, kind of nursing homes, that, that kind of thing. And there, there was a couple of things that I'd already written that fed into that, and it just gave me an impetus to write everything else. For this album, I, I didn't have that. But then it, looking back on it, for the most part, it really does um, follow um, one particular subject, which is a, a relationship that ended um, about a year and a half ago now, and dealing with different aspects of that. And even some of the songs that I thought were about something else, I've kind of, having finished it a while ago, and then come back and listen to it later and go, oh, that's probably actually about that as well, isn't it? Um, so, I mean, I don't, it's not that every song is about the same thing, but there's, I, I can feel the ghost of that situation, certainly in the background of every song. And in some cases it being from absolutely dead fucking front and center. <laughs> I mean, I guess in a way their albums are snapshots, right? Of like, this is what I was doing at the time. Yeah, or it's, this is how I was feeling at the time. Or sometimes it's, it's more, um, I've, I, I was in a band a long time ago that I'm very proud of called Unbelievable Truth. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the singer of that band, who I'm still great friends with, um, you know, we, were, we had a kind of similar uh, atmosphere to the Sad Song Co. It was fairly downbeat. It wasn't, it wasn't music full of jollity and time for Irish dancing. It was, um, and I remember in an interview, an interviewer uh, asked him, said, um, you know, all, all of these lyrics of yours, you, you must just be really depressed when you write them. And he said, uh, I, I, I'm not, I can't, I can't write when I'm depressed because you, you know, or when you're in, in that kind of pit, because you can't see beyond it. So you can't see any aspects of it. And all you can do is just kind of flounder about underneath it. So 
most of the time it's having those experiences coming out of them and then being able to reflect on them which is where where lyrics come from i think so um i'm sure that's not true for everybody because it's a great big world and i'm yeah. sure there's some people who work best when they're in the middle of super trauma but for me it's it's, it's the same as andy from unbelievable truth that i've kind of come gone through something and then looking back on it i can go i can you know it's having a really um, good view of the inner workings of something that you can then describe from a slightly removed point of view. Mm -hmm. Do you feel yourself reliving certain things when you sing those songs or have you just sung them and rehearsed them so many times now that there are just songs to you, you know? No, they're not just songs. I mean, um, there's, I can kind of, tell the the lyrics which i end up being most proud of because whenever i sing them i'll usually get that feeling behind your nose when you're trying not to cry and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so um there's a there's a song from in amber called um, uh, meet you there which i think is you know it it still hits me singing that and and then the new single the the line your absence felt in everything it's that that for me is it's a really it's a simple but accurate um summation of a whole bunch of things that i feel and being able you know so yeah it's it still does hit me it's it's like it's masochistic sometimes in a way because you're dragging yourself back through a particular moment again and again and again when you don't even have to of, uh, of something that was not enjoyable. Um, so yeah, uh, they, it all still means something. And we've segued a, a little bit away from the sound, but I am curious about it, because obviously you have like a deliberate kind of a sound with sad song go, right? In the same way that I have a deliberate sort of banter, swears like a trooper um, style doing this shit. So one of the things that I'm curious about though, is do you feel like you're anchored in that or do you feel like you've built yourself enough uh space to be able to like pull left or veer right depending on you know the the next album that comes up right yeah i i, I feel like i i have complete freedom because it's just me i don't have to ask anybody else's permission because yeah. i'm because i release my own stuff i don't have to ask a record company's permission um and you so know, the funk album could happen that's what you're telling the me funk album the funk album happen, can yeah. happen <laughs> absolutely i mean i i'm i'm a I'm a huge fan of George Clinton. So if the next one sounds like uh, P Funk, then I called it. You had it here first, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I mean, I can I can do whatever I want. I, and I guess the fact that the albums sound roughly cohesive. I, I don't think they they all sound the same. All five albums that I've made, but um, you know, the, they represent the what i'm trying to create in music it's not necessarily what i listen to mm. but it's the thing i have the a passion to try and bring out into the world you know it, it's just chasing beauty i being able to create something that anybody could describe as beautiful and that's that's what i want to want to leave behind so um, i mean that, that makes it sound like i'm trying to leave some kind of legacy but it's not, it's, it's a compulsion and a vocation to create it. 
Yeah, I guess in a weird way, these things do kind of become our legacies though, right? Like, no, maybe not in a egomaniac kind of a way, though I'm sure for some people that is true. But like, you know, these these will be the things that we leave behind, right? There will be a dozen sad Sonko albums or five 500 episodes of this shitty podcast or like, you know what I mean? Like those things are still going to exist beyond but our time. They are, but one thing I'd, I'd certainly recommend is being a little bit less self-deprecating. I mean, <laughs> I've got to say, I'm I'm enjoying this podcast and, and any any friends who really know me would laugh um, bark practically at me saying I, that you should be less self-deprecating. They're probably yelling at at the podcast going fuck's sake Nigel you're, you're full of self-hate can you please practice what you preach but I'm going to recommend to you right here and now <laughs> I, I'm going to say this is this podcast it took me ages and ages to get into podcasts I, I didn't I didn't get it um and it was only it's only maybe been three years and my entry into podcasts was um the Simon May and Mark Commode um, music, uh, sorry, film uh, show, which is on Five Live, but also they do an extended podcast on it. And suddenly get realizing that, hey, it's, it's about, it's kind of like sitting near two fun people in a pub and listening mm. to them talk. Not, um, I mean, not that I'm describing myself as fun necessarily, but uh, two hopefully interesting people in a pub and li listening to them talk. Right, instead of this kind of what used to be a um, a kind of proper interview scenario, mm. where it was it was very contained. It was like we've got to hit this point, this point, this point, this point. But um, be ha doing something like that, but having the opportunity for rambling. That's, you know, uh, I, I suddenly went, ah, and then as soon as you've realized that rambling's great, then you can, you get onto the Adam Buxton podcast and the world is your oyster because that's yeah. full of great stuff. And your podcast is good too. So, <laughs> Thanks, man. so hush it's now. The, it's the Kiwi meets um, Scotland sort of self-depreciation <laughs> thing. I think it gets cranked up like quite a bit. It's sort of overcompensating. Yeah. Where, whereabouts in Scotland are you? I don't even know. Oh, uh, Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, it's system. it's where every New Zealander moves to when they when they leave New Zealand. Which is which is madness given the difference in climate. But uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, given the difference in a lot of things at the moment, it's <laughs> got to be honest, it's madness. But yeah, we're here and we're loving it. So. How, how long have you been over here? Um, only like eleven months. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so I left. Um, I left New Zealand like three weeks before the shit hit the fan. And then I found out like three days ago that there's like an 80 day wait to get into the government quarantine centers. So I'm like, even if I want to go back, <laughs> yeah, I, you're trapped in Edinburgh. I'm trapped in Edinburgh. There are worse places to be trapped. There you know? are worse places to be trapped. I mean, it's such an amazing place, like just to walk around and, and feel everything. It's just, yeah, it's cool. I love it. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Well done, Edinburgh. Dude, thank you so much for hanging out. It's been like really insightful and and a lot of fun i am going to work on that life lesson um and hopefully the next episode will be less self-depreciated yeah <laughs> well i i i i hope that uh next time you know that we do talk some other time and uh, and you come back that my friends was my conversation with nigel powell of the sad song co i hope you liked it if you liked it let me know send me a tweet at more than punk 
and write a review on iTunes. Every podcast says it. They're the kinds of things that help. We want this thing to be free, interesting, and well-loved by everyone, everywhere, hopefully. I'm super excited because this coming week, I'm hanging out with Shane Told from fucking Silverstein, which is going to be absolutely incredible. And that will be up a week from when you're listening to this. So the following Saturday, Shane and I are going to cover the gamut. It's an interview that I've been looking forward to for a very long time. This, in the meantime, is the new single from Nigel Powell, The Sad Song Co., My Saccharin, here on the More Than Punk Podcast. Thanks for coming and hanging out this week. Everyone